WBEZ is supported by the Alzheimer's Association. The Chicago Walk to End Alzheimer's on October 7th supports research and care of those affected by dementia. Participants of all ages are welcome. ALZ.org slash walk. Volunteers to help tutor adults in English as a second language. Tutors work one-on-one with a student for about one to two hours a week. Training is provided. More information is at volunteermatch.org. Search for Sandra Romero. This is WBEZ. This is WBEZ HD Chicago 91.5 FM, WBEQ HD Morris 90.7 FM, WBEK Kankakee 91.1 FM, and always on the WBEZ app. Live from WBEZ Chicago, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. How often do you hit your goal of 10,000 steps a day? Do you feel guilty when you've barely made it halfway there? Well, a new study finds that you can ditch that guilt because according to researchers in Poland, 4,000 steps every day, or about two and a half miles, will go a long way in decreasing risks of death. Or maybe you do hit your goal, but maybe you're like me and your day, your job, and your life, it can be a little fast-paced, so you don't always get a chance to smell the roses. Well, this hour, we're gonna slow down and take a walk, a stroll, a ramble, if you will. It'll help us boost our longevity, get back a little peace of mind, and is possibly the best way to get to know your city and neighborhood. We'll explore the joys of walking and what it means for our health. Also, Chicago's top doctor gets the ax. We'll dig into what that means for public health in the city. It's all happening after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Former President Donald Trump is among 19 people indicted by a grand jury in Georgia. They're accused of trying to overturn the state's 2020 presidential election results. Trump is facing 13 felony counts, including racketeering and conspiracy, as NPR's Miles Parks reports. The indictment in Georgia is Donald Trump's fourth of the year. He faces charges in New York for alleged hush money payments leading up to the 2016 election. And he faces federal charges for his handling of classified documents and his role in trying to overturn the 2020 election. The indictment in Georgia focused extensively on how Trump's team tried to subvert the process for appointing the state's electors. In addition to the former president, his attorneys Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman also faced charges, as well as a local election official who is accused of giving Trump's team unauthorized access to her county's voting equipment. Miles Parks, NPR News. In a statement, Trump says a George indictment is more election interference. He's seeking the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. Maui County's police chief says authorities will start releasing names today of people who died in last week's wildfires. 99 individuals are confirmed dead so far, the vast majority still unidentified. NPR's Gabriel Spitzer has more. The intensity of the fires has made it extremely difficult to identify human remains. Chief John Pelletier says just three of the victims recovered so far could be identified by fingerprints. Investigators will be relying on DNA matching for many others. The Colorado-based Andy Corporation is providing rapid DNA testing equipment to local police. Forensic scientist Julie French says extreme heat can degrade DNA, but trained teams can often find usable samples. Technology has really advanced over the past few years, and we have improved our ability to do the best work with that limited, degraded DNA that's still there. 
The death toll is expected to rise as teens make their way through the burn area. Pelletier says about 25% of the zone has been combed through so far. Gabriel Spitzer, NPR News, Maui. The mother of a six-year-old Virginia boy who shot his teacher seven months ago has pleaded guilty to felony child neglect. Under a plea agreement, prosecutors in Newport News have dropped a misdemeanor count of reckless storage of a firearm against Asia Taylor. They have also agreed not to seek punishment that's longer than the state's sentencing guidelines of six months behind bars. But a judge will have final say in Taylor's sentence. She'll have to wait until the end of October to learn how much time she will get. Abigail Zwerner, the teacher who was severely injured in the shooting at Richneck Elementary School, has filed a multi-million dollar lawsuit against school officials whom she accuses of ignoring warnings that her student brought a gun to school. It's NPR News. 66 degrees, cloudy skies, 11.04, it's windy. I'm Lisa Labas with WBEZ News. More than 500 employees at the Art Institute of Chicago and the School of the Art Institute have ratified their first union contract. Wages will increase by at least 12.25%, with lower paid workers receiving up to 16.25% increases. The contract also raises the wage floor to $17 an hour now and $18 an hour in 2025. Museum administration says the contract is an important step in building the future of our institution. Donald Trump and 18 allies, as you've been hearing, including a Chicago-based publicist, have been indicted in Georgia over efforts to overturn Trump's 2020 election loss. Trevian Kuti is a former publicist for Chicago artists R. Kelly and Ye, formerly known as Kanye West. Prosecutors allege she claimed to have high-level law enforcement connections. The White Sox and Cubs kick off the second half of their annual Crosstown Classic tonight at Wrigley Field. The Cubs won the first two games earlier this year at Guaranteed Rate Field, and they're looking for their first Crosstown sweep since 2013. WBEZ Sports contributor Cheryl Ray Stout says these games are important for the Cubs to gain ground in the NL Central Division race. The Cubs are three and a half, three and a half games behind the first-place Brewers. When you are facing a team that is in the condition the White Sox are in, you should win those games because no matter what, it's going to be a tight race all the way to the end of the season. Sox are squarely, though, out of the playoff race. I'm Lisa Lavis, WBEZ News. PR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Indeed, designed to be an end-to-end hiring solution for businesses of any size to attract, interview, and hire candidates all from one place. More at Indeed.com NPR. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Glad to be with you this morning. Coming up this hour, we're going to take a little stroll. Well, not really, but we'll spend some time today slowing down and talking about the benefits of walking. But first, Dr. Allison Arwady is no longer commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health. The Johnson administration dismissed the city's top doctor late Friday. Arwady became the permanent commissioner of the department just before COVID swept the nation. And while many praised her handling of the pandemic, there was some pushback against her decision to loosen restrictions, to reopen public schools during the Delta wave, and not prioritizing reopening mental health clinics. So to learn more, we're joined by Chalkbeat Chicago Bureau Chief Becky Vivi, who covered Arwady's arrival and tenure for WBEZ. Welcome, Becky. Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. It's very good to Back see you, Back in the too. building. Yes. <laughs> so give us your initial reaction to this news. I mean, this was... Pretty heavy on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I was 
scrolling after putting my kids to bed and saw this news. And the first thing I did was text uh, Christian Schorsch, uh, WBEZ reporter, right. who we spent many uh, years during the pandemic in the trenches together covering the pandemic and wrote to her and said, dang, and certainly the end, <laughs> end of an era. Exactly. And, <laughs> and um, you know, we, we kind of texted back and forth and it definitely did feel like the end of an era. Because yeah, you've this been covering was, Dr. Arwady for a long time. Yeah. And really, I mean, I when I was covering City Hall, um, when Mayor Lori Lightfoot was elected, she was um, she basically was the chief medical officer under Rahm Emanuel's administration. And she took over for. Um, Julie Morita, who was the head of the Department of Public Health under Rahm Emanuel, and became an acting commissioner. And actually, at the beginning of Lightfoot's term, before the pandemic hit, um, her confirmation hearings were kind of tense and fraught, and um, they were they were really one of the most difficult confirmation hearings for any of Lightfoot's picks. Really? Um, yeah, because you had new city council members, new aldermen who had run on sort of a, a, a push to reopen mental health clinics. And Arwoody was seen sort of as like an insider during the Rahm Emanuel administration. And mm -hmm. so she, when Lightfoot said, okay, instead of making, I actually want her to be my commissioner, not just the acting or interim person. Yeah, um, interesting. And her her appointment, she did, she, she did not get approved that fall. I think it was January of 2020 when her, um, appointment finally went through the and council. And we know what happened just a couple yes, short months after that, exactly. which we'll dig into here. But uh, I'm curious your take on this because her firing, it came after the Chicago Board of Health wrote a letter to Mayor Johnson mm -hmm. asking for already to, to stay. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the Board of Health, they must have seen this coming, no? Well, right. And I think, um, you know, that letter also didn't, you know, it talked about what they wanted to see in a leader, period. Um, it wasn't necessarily only, you know, please keep Dr. Arwady, but um, that we need somebody who can guide this department. I mean, let's just set the stage nationally. During the pandemic, you saw health commissioners, public health officials all over the country resign or leave. Um, you saw vacuums in these departments. That's right. All over the place. And so Arwady was really an outlier in the sense that she stayed put and steadied the ship here in Chicago. Yeah. Um, I mean, she outlasted Dr. Ngaze Ezike, who was the Illinois Department of Public Health director, um, who also lasted quite a long time. Um, but, you know, Arwady really was an outlier. But it was not entirely surprising, given Mayor Brandon Johnson's rhetoric on the campaign trail. It was pretty clear that he yeah. was, you know, he was she was one of those that he was not intending to and keep that they in place. didn't see eye to eye Correct. for sure let's let's go back though to the beginning of the pandemic which we've both touched on a bit the fact that she started sort of right then yep and you know things were were, were tense what what were those initial months like and, and just kind of maybe remind us of some of her accomplishments over the last few years well so those initial months obviously again there was so much uncertainty we knew um, nothing. People knew. Yes, we knew, we nothing. knew nothing, but wanted so many answers from this woman. Exactly. And I will say, um, although I bristled at it a little bit as a reporter, you know, she got up on Facebook and started these Q&A sessions uh, weekly and was answering questions that were, you know, as silly as like, 
you know, how many particles get through a cloth mask versus an N95? You know, there were very, um, there were a lot of questions and a lot of misinformation, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, you know, I think at that time, she was trying to, again, step into this role as a local public health official, um, trying to navigate through a very fraught political environment yeah. and a time of really complete uncertainty. How did she handle the misinformation piece? You know, I I think that she did a pretty good job. I would also say pre-pandemic, like when I think back to the budget hearings when she was acting commissioner and her her even her confirmation hearings, she is a she is a talker and she will um she will go very deep into wonk land with you if you if you let her. And um so I think that it was not surprising to me that she was very comfortable with like, sure, let's go on Facebook Live and answer questions um, because she was always kind of um, preached a little bit of that transparency, even when she butted heads with Alderman about mental health clinics. Like she would get up on the dais and explain herself for you know, people had to cut her off to ask another question because she would just keep talking. Yes, I, um, I remember yeah. quite well. <laughs> so how much do you think we can separate Arwitty's actions um, from then Mayor Lightfoot's priorities? Yeah, so again, this is one of those things where it's, I feel like a lot of people look at her as like, and, and I will say like Johnson's administration and during, let's talk about like, we can talk in a minute about school reopening, but there are a lot of people who disagreed with um, some of the guidance that she gave around, you know, reopening restaurants and bars, for instance, or, um, you know, the mitigations in place versus like they weren't enough, of, there weren't enough mitigations. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that it's a little bit, she was also operating in, a, in an environment where, yes, the mayor did have the final say. Um, there were also executive orders from the state government and from the governor and even guidance from the feds that, like, you know, trickling down, there's only she had to work within some fencing, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so I think that I would caution people to not necessarily think about her legacy only as like hers individually because she was operating under an administration and at the end of the day that's where the buck stopped um yeah so that's a good reminder um, yeah. yeah it, it kind of depends on the decision you're asking about true if you're just tuning in this is reset i'm sasha ann simons and chicago's top doctor allison arwady is out we're talking right now with chalk beach chicago bureau chief becky vivi about the mayor's decision on Friday. So Brandon Johnson, he first said he intended to fire Dr. Arwady in March uh, when he was running for mayor. He was actually talking to me mm -hmm. on stage at a forum that was held, uh, hosted by WBEZ and the Sun-Times. This was days before the runoff. Let's hear what he had to say. We have different views of, of public health. And so, uh, no, she will not stay on in my administration. We know that he later softened his language on this, Becky. I mean, why do you think he took the stance so early, though, before even winning the election? He wasn't um, actually mayor yet. Right. Well, and I think a lot of that, again, goes back to pre-pandemic. This was a person. So Dr. Arvidi is a person who it, I think many people saw as an insider who agreed with and represented the decisions made by the former administration uh, regarding mental health clinics closing. So when Rahm Emanuel closed mental health clinics, obviously that wasn't a, a decision made by Dr. Arwady at all. She was a, you know, a mid-level staffer in the CDPH at that time. Um, but I think that 
Brandon Johnson's base remembers that and wanted those mental health clinics to to be reopened. And um, they remembered the times um, during her confirmation hearings when she really defended the decision and that didn't sit well with them. And so I think he, you know, came out and he said that, you know, she they don't see eye to eye and they wouldn't see eye to eye. Mm -hmm. And so that she would be leaving. But I think that it's a lot more complex than that. And I think um, when you look at the state of sort of the public health landscape in Chicago um, over many years, it is it is really a public private partnership. Um, And I think that that already operated that department with a lot of um, sort of um, how, how do I say this? Like the looking at the reality versus like what could be, what could be you okay. know, and yeah. I don't think she was ever, you know, going to be like, OK, well, we're going to reopen all of them and, and staff them with public nurses. Like that was never a, a statement she she made or, yeah. or believed in. Like she had a, an approach to the public health landscape that was um, not not that. Yeah. Well, let's hear from from Allison Arwady. She sat down last night for her first interview since her firing. This is a a little bit of her remarks with uh, NBC. You know, at the end of the day, I'm actually a little bit proud to now have joined the ranks of the hundreds of public health leaders who ultimately lost their jobs for making data-driven decisions during COVID. Uh, And I, again, I want this mayor to be successful, even now. So... There are reports that Mayor Johnson fired her without meeting with her first Uh, in a news conference yesterday. He actually declined to respond to those claims Mm -hmm. when reporters were asking. He declined to respond to whether the Chicago Teachers Union had any influence on the decision. Yet here we hear her say, you know, I'm proud. I'm proud of the work I did. So give me your, your take on that. The fact that she still finds pride in this situation. Yeah, I mean, I think... Because it could be messy. Yeah, it could be messy. And it sounds like there were some questions about kind of how it was handled. But I've covered covered a few of these transitions now. And I think it is not unusual or surprising for a new mayor to come in and replace people. And actually, I think Dr. Arwady in her interview with NBC5 actually kind of also made that clear that like, she wasn't sure she was going to stay on anyway. She was like thinking about transition planning anyway. And um, uh, I think I think the question now is a little bit more like what does she you know, what what does the next person do as they step into this role? And I should note that the the number two, the chief medical officer, the person, the role that Arwady filled before she became the commissioner. Right. Um, that person has also resigned. So you do have a bit of a vacuum of leadership that I think is now putting a big question mark in in the Chicago government landscape you, of what you, are you going to do with yeah. this department? And I will also note that, you know, the public health department for years prior to the pandemic was sort of like a little known department that people didn't really pay attention to. Um, did a COVID lot of like, as, I mean, yeah, you know. I mean, we were we really talking now, to infectious disease specialists before COVID, you know, on, on this sort of. Well, they like they, they certainly existed and they did a lot of work of out of the public eye. Um, behind the scenes that people didn't pay attention to. They did a lot of, you know, they flu were clinics. They were in the spotlight with this pandemic. Exactly. And and they also saw a huge influx of funding, uh, funding from the federal government. So that so, department is has gone through a lot of change already and has really kind of grown. And I think the question now is, with a vacuum of leadership, what does... Okay, so Johnson doesn't agree with or see eye to eye with Arwady, um, or, you know, potentially the chief medical officer who's now resigned. Mm-hmm. 
Like, who is the kind of person he's going to put in that place? Is it going to be an insider, somebody from the ranks within the department? Is it going to be somebody from the outside? Is it going to be somebody from another city? And again, there are a lot of public health professionals, like Arwadi says, that left during the pandemic, yeah. left the profession altogether because of sort of the politics of and it all. And now we're kind of seeing that again, right? Uh, so in its message to Mayor Johnson, the Chicago Board of Health outlined what it wants to see in in candidates being considered for the next health commissioner. They were talking about qualities like experience with racial equity and commitment to transparency. Mm -hmm. What do you expect for the search for Chicago's next health commissioner? Uh, That's a really great question and one that I am I'm not sure I'm equipped to answer because I don't know exactly how um, how they'll approach it. Um, I do think that the Johnson administration uh, with all of their picks right now, they are taking kind of a, well, we want to talk to a lot of people and see if they align with our vision mm-hmm. and then put someone in place who matches the vision. Um, and again, I, I'm not sure that that's going to be somebody who comes from within the department. Perhaps it is. Um, and I would imagine there are going to be a lot of conversations being had uh, over the next coming weeks. My big question is going into, you know, we're getting they're in they're sort of going to head into budget season here in the city mm-hmm. uh city council and it 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 will be very interesting to see how they you know who who fields all those questions and how that department and the the budget hearings around that department and the future of that department what will that look like because i can't imagine that they'll have a permanent replacement who is both picked and confirmed ahead of October when they do hearings Ooh, for that, that, that timeline. So when it's tight. Yeah, like exactly. That. So they'll be going through essentially a, a budget process probably without a permanent leader. Be interesting to watch. Becky Vivi is the Bureau Chief of Chalk Beach Chicago. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Sasha. All right, put on your walking shoes, Chicago. We're going to spend the rest of the hour discussing the art of walking. We'll hear from two walking tour guides on why they think the best way to see the city is on foot. And we'll discuss the benefits of walking beyond the physical ones. That's just ahead on Reset. But first, officials in Hawaii are working on identifying folks who were killed in wildfires on Maui. Here's Lisa Labas. Sasha, 99 people are confirmed dead, and officials do expect to release the first names today, even as teams intensify searching for more dead people in neighborhoods that have been reduced to ash. In the meantime, a lot of survivors are moving into hundreds of hotel rooms that have been set aside for displaced locals. Uh, The police chief said Monday crews are using cadaver dogs. They've scoured about 25 percent of the search area. Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago property manager, Carlos de Oliveira, has pleaded not guilty to scheming with the former president to try to delete security footage sought by investigators probing the former president's hoarding of classified documents. An attorney for de Oliveira pleaded, uh, entered the plea on, be, on his behalf during a brief hearing in the federal court in Fort Pierce, Florida. About 146,000 members of the United Auto Workers Union are voting next week on authorizing their leaders to call strikes against the big three Detroit. Detroit automakers. Union President Sean Fain issued a statement today saying talks are moving slowly and have yet to address wages and other economic issues. The union's contracts with General Motors, Ford and Stellantis expire on September 14th. Morning Edition from NPR News doesn't just tell you what's happening across the country and around the world. We go there so you can listen to it for yourself, whether it's rafting surging rivers in California. Dig it in. Keep going. Yeah. 
are taking you to a legendary crab derby in Maryland. You got a squirt bottle behind you and a bobber, okay? Go there every weekday with Morning Edition from NPR News. From 5 to 9 a.m. here on 91.5 WBEZ. If you want to get to and from your job, you probably need a car. But if you can't afford a car, well, you can't get to your job to start saving for one. It's so obvious that a car is necessary for most Americans to get around inside the United States, right? I'm Rima Hreis. A look into the paradox that is car ownership. Next time on Marketplace. This afternoon at 4.30 and at 7 on WBEZ. WBEZ is supported by V at the Glen, a North Shore retirement community with a maintenance-free lifestyle and a plan for care should the need arise. V at the Glen is an equal housing opportunity community. V, redefining senior living. Some clouds, some sunshine, and light rain at Midway. We're at 67 degrees. I'm Lisa Lavez, WBEZ.